Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1119. Sign up for the ID10T.com email list. It's very simple. You go to ID10T.com. Um, look around while you're there. We got a lot of fun pop culture stuff. And uh, on that tip... So if you sign up for the email list, then you don't have to go to the website all the time. We'll just alert you when new things are put in the store that are pop culture oriented and, and relevant to your interests probably. But we w- it won't come to your inbox so many times that it'll be annoying, but just enough to be like, ah, good times. I'm so glad I saw this thing. So that's over at ID10T.com, the email list. But let's talk about you, the ID10T community, in the corkboard events at ID10T.com, like K.R. Renatus, who writes, I'm an actor and writer. I'm still in the beginning of my career, and I haven't gotten many opportunities yet. So I've been trying to make my own. I've created a web series called Video Diary of a Foster Kid. It's loosely based around my experience growing up in the foster system, and it has my whole heart. The first five episodes of Video Diary of a Foster Kid are available on my YouTube channel, K Renatus. That's the letter K, Renatus, R-E-N-A-T-U-S. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much. What an incredible idea um, to create, especially for one of your first things, to create something so personal and then make a, uh, make a show about it. Um, just such an incredible idea. Congratulations. Uh, we will check it out. And uh, and I asked the ID10T community to also go check it out as well. And if you have stuff out there, the community that you would like to share at the corkboard events at ID10T.com would be the way that you would do that. But let's talk about this episode. Billy Crystal, who's just the best. He's the best. I mean, just le- he's a legend, brilliant comedian. He like is a comedian's comedian. He loves comedy, understands comedy, you know, the mechanics of it, loves to talk comedy. He's been on the podcast, uh, I don't know how many times, but more than a few. I think going back to, I don't know, 2012 or 13 maybe. Oh, that's right. I just remember the first time he was on was to, I think, to promote Monsters University. And I got to go up to the Pixar campus, which was one of the best things I've ever, it's really cool. 
But um, but I got to go up there and talk to him. He was awesome. Then he's been a, just fantastic every time he was on the podcast. Um, I adore this man, and he has a gorgeous, beautiful movie that just came out. Uh, it's in theaters actually now, eventually to be on streaming, but it's actually in theaters called Here Today, which he stars in, co-wrote, and also directed. It's a dramedy, top to bottom. It's uh, uh, really funny in places and really heartfelt and sad in places. Um, but uh, Liddy and I watched it the other night and we loved it. The performances are great. And it's him uh, and Tiffany Haddish, who's brilliant. And again, beautiful movie, highly recommended, out in theaters today uh, and then streaming soon. And then also I found out in the podcast, Monsters at Work um, is a new Monsters thing that's coming to Disney Plus, I believe July 2nd, if the internet is to be believed. And, uh, and so new Monsters, uh, Billy Crystal's movie. And uh, Billy, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back on. I just, uh, I just think you're the best, and I greatly enjoyed this conversation on episode number eleven nineteen of the ID Ten T podcast, which starts right now. Initiating ID Ten T protocol. Wow, I don't know I could wear like a baseball hat. That would have been good. How are you, Chris? <laughs> it's good to see you. <laughs> you too. Who's your pal behind you? Oh, those are uh, those are from Disneyland. My wife and I. Actually, upstairs, we have a life-size uh, Mike and Sully that she got from some entertainment auction. Really? Yeah, so the big one, the, the, the like the the one, the, the plaster one, or whatever it is, the, the big furry, like like so yeah. big and furry, and Mike is like my, you know, they're like full size. Oh, and, like the standees, the standees from a theater lobby. You know, I had one for years, and you know, we're doing this um, uh, series, uh, Monsters at Work for Pixar, which uh, starts July second. That makes it's, it's really good. And so I, I gave it to the uh, the people at Pixar. Um, so it's now the little Mike Wazowski recording studio. So it's, it's really cool. It's oh, fun. that's fantastic. Yeah, I think these were in a toy store or something because they're like three-dimensional. Like like they look like they were from the ride maybe possibly yeah. uh, a California Adventure, um, which we just went back to for a preview day of Disneyland. And we did the Monsters, Inc. ride. And it's a fantastic ride. Oh, good. Have you been on it? Yes, several times. I mean, you're in it. But I don't know if you've been. Yeah, on I it. know several times with my. It's a. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. It's my grandson. The little when they were little. Uh, there's grandpa. There's grandpa. You know, but it's, it's just a scary little green eye, green one eyed guy. <laughs> I, I didn't actually. I don't think I knew about the series. I didn't. I didn't hear that they were making that. Or is it like? Are you doing like a full 20 episodes, 10, 20 episodes? We did, we did 10. Um, John Goodman and I. Um, great. Mindy Kaling, Henry Winkler, Bonnie Hunt, um, some other really wonderful people. Uh, it, it, the, it starts the day after 
the first movie ended. Oh, so we're now, we're now on the scare, uh, the laugh floor. It's no longer the scare floor. It's the laugh floor. And Mike and Sully are in charge of uh, uh, harvesting laughs. And all new young characters and a couple of favorites. Uh, I'm watching you, Wazowski. She's there. Um, and it's really, it's so well done. And um, we had a we had a really good time doing it. So that starts July second. So is that coming out? I imagine that's probably Disney Plus. Disney Plus, yeah. God, what an amazing! I you know I just I feel like I keep having this conversation, but I guess just because it's such an unprecedented time in entertainment, just about how, uh, like just just the way that we get things that are entertainment, it's just been completely leveled in terms of you know everything is everything now. Uh, yeah, and and how you can get things done. I mean, the fact that we're doing this now. Yeah, I finished all of the posts after I had my cut of here today, right here, at home, <laughs> with 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 recording sessions with musicians in New York that I would be able to monitor with a camera and listen to with headsets and and do, go through the score and rewrite music and so on, color correction, looping, everything was done here because you couldn't you couldn't go out. So it's pretty amazing. Do you like do you do you like having a place to go and having separation? Absolutely, I love I love being in the room. I love being in the mixing board. I love being able to say um, no birds there. I don't. I, no, no. Can, you, can I have more violin at, at bar sixteen? And you have, like being surrounded by the people who do that, right? You know, the, the the great mixers, the great color correctors. You know, working with a DP on saturation. I love all of that stuff. But the fact we could get it done um, was uh, was a blessing. I mean, it's it, it, like the, just the pursuit of comedy, particularly comedians, is interesting because I feel like so much of what we do is very isolating. Like we're alone, we're writing, we're doing our set, we're on stage alone generally. But it, but we love being around people. Like that need to sort of like be isolated at times, but then be around everyone all the yeah. time is also yeah. Yeah, you know it's uh, it's that word. You like to bounce. You want to bounce. I see. A, I see a Ben Schwartz in your background there on the. Uh, yeah, there, there he is. Yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my favorite um, people and one of my favorite uh, films. Just ending uh, up falling down. Little little beauty from last year. Uh, I watched my wife and I watched the movie last night, and it. I didn't really know much about it. So I did not have any preconceived. I had no idea what I was, what it was when I started watching it. And I started, I mean, it's going to be, I don't want to spoil too much talking about it, but I feel like we're going to have to spoil a little bit just to talk about it because it really, it hit on so many amazing existential, not just sort of human things, but also just the comics journey too, which yeah, it, it, it sort of, it hit me in a lot of, places I mean, the movie's fantastic you're great in it tiffany's amazing in it like it's but it, it's also and it's funny but uh, but utterly heart shattering at this in, in places at the same time but, in a, but uh, yes but because it's honest and it's real and and you know when when we started writing um when zwebel and i started alan uh, started one of my closest and dearest friends for well, 48 years now or something. Um, he was an original SNL writer. I was involved with the show from the beginning, then hosting it a couple of times and then coming as a cast member. Um, we know that world, you know. So um, so when I saw him on Letterman 
telling the story, which is the opening of the relationship between Tiffany's character and, and, and Charlie Burns, um, that happened to Alan. That was a true story. And he wrote it as a short story called The Prize, which I didn't know about at the time. But I saw him telling a story about this auction that, that this person bids on him. It's for a low number, like $22. He's now hating that he's at this lunch with somebody who lowballed him. And and then she has a reaction to the seafood salad. He has to call an ambulance, get it to the hospital. She has no insurance. So this charity luncheon costs him $2,300. So I'm watching at home, watching him, and I started writing. I started going, Alan, this is the beginning of something. What a great way for them to meet. Who are they? Where do they go from there? Let's start. If you're interested, call me in the morning. This is a great jumping off point, exclamation point, BC. And the next morning we called and we started working and then and discussing who could they be and so on and so forth. And, and once we sort of got into that um, idea, all right, who are they? Uh, Alan and I both loved... Uh, a senior writer at SNL named Herb Sargent and Herb was in his fifties and nobody else was when the show started. And he was really kind of responsible for weekend update. I'm Chevy Chase. You're not the general Franco was still dead. Those are, you know, and he was a real socialite. Um, he dated Gloria Steinem. He was a charming guy. And um, I thought, wow, you know, it would be great to, if my character, taking Alan a step further, who actually it happened to, if he worked for a show like SNL. So we created this just in. So that was that was good. And and then I was in um, in Penn Station in New York, and I saw this charming young singer with like a gypsy jazz band in the waiting room at Penn Station with the train noises and interruptions and 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 I thought she was great. Then I saw her again in Soho on a corner of Spring Street, and sh- and the band was great. So I said, well, Alan, what if she was a street singer and had this band and then, you know, and, and then so on and so forth. And then we started writing, and then I was dealing with um, with a relative who had a, a this problem that Charlie does in the, in the movie, this onset of, of dementia. and But she worked through it and worked with it, and I took care of her. Um, and... And that we said, well, what if we, what if we do that? What's more, you know, it's so interesting and dramatic that a, a writer whose currency is his words is starting to go broke. And what would that be like? And could we treat it honestly, be funny, but be real at the same time? Then we would might have something that would be more than funny, but heartfelt and and um, and it says something about empathy friendship, uh, devotion, and really what love is. Right. And so then it, it kept, it kept growing and growing. And then we finished and then we went, all right, we like the script a lot. Who's, who's this person? And I saw Tiffany on SNL hosting SNL because I had not seen girls trip at the time. And I went, bingo, who is that? I was at that taping. I you went, were? I went to that. Well, the taping, the live show, I was actually there watching it live uh, and it was incredible. She was incredible. Yeah. And she's she's uh, so vivacious and so funny and so electric. She has a little bit of the magic that, that Eddie Murphy had at, at the same at the same time, you know, that that sort of thing. Like you don't see it very often. 
and a, and a, a great energy about her. And, and also she's so appealing. So we get her the script and she arranges to meet with me. And she came in from Africa. She got off the plane and came from Africa where she was actually spreading her, her late father's ashes in Africa per his wishes. And no makeup, no nothing, just exhausted. And we just hit it off. It just, she was the talent for sure. You know that. Yeah. But what you, what you have to find, Chris, you know, you have to find the heart of the person so then you can rewrite for her. And can she get to the places that the script demanded? Because she hadn't had a chance to do that yet. And that was why she loved the script and wanted to do it because she wanted to stretch and grow, which she does. And then I found out she was she had just taken in her own grandmother who was suffering from from uh, the beginnings of dementia and was taking care of her. So it was like it was like meant to be. It was meant to be, you know, so um, she was so uh, willing to go where I needed her to go. And as her co-star and her director, um, that's the challenge of, well, I don't really want just Tiffany. I want Emma. I need Emma Page, but I need, at times, you'll be free enough to sprinkle, you know, and, and, and get that. And we have that in, in a couple of little places, but it's a beautiful performance. And I, and I really loved working with her because she's, you know, she's like, right there. She listens great. She's got great timing and she's fearless. And, and so was the character. Yeah, she is. I, I, um, uh, I used to do the show at comedy central called that midnight. It was like a stand-up comedy game show, kind of a panel show. And, um, I was performing at the improv one night and I walked after my set, I walked over to the little annex room at the improv. And that was the first time I saw her on stage and she was performing for you know, it was a small number of people, but she was murdering. I mean, like murdering in a way that's really hard to do in a in like in a in a room that's in a small room that's not necessarily full. And I texted our booker, and I was like, "Do you know who Tiffany Haddish is? I'm watching her kill right now." And he booked her for the show. And what I didn't know is that her career was our girl strip hadn't come out yet, but she was already on a show. She was starting to she destroyed on our show like right out of the gate, won the game. And I think I said to her that time or the next time she was on, I was like, I'm really appreciative that you're coming on the show now because you're going to be too famous at some point. <laughs> not gonna be. So I'm glad that you're coming on now. And of course, Girls Trip came out and it was just like, boom. And then, you know, it, it much deserved her career exploded. But it's so it's so wonderful to watch talented people. It's one of my favorite things about comedy is watching funny people succeed watching funny people show the world how fucking funny they are and watching people get it i mean it just it delights me to no end well also chris that this that in this performance um it's more than funny it's more than just funny and you know what was good about being opposite her um we could do a take and while we're still rolling i'd be able to say just look her in the eyes and, and just say don't bring anything else. Just, and she go, got it. And then we would just keep going. It was that kind of relationship also, which was um, really fun because, you know, every scene we have is, is, uh, is together. Do you think, I, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of comedy people 
make really amazing dramatic actors just because I do think there's a, a self-awareness and a depth and also comedy, you know, is a bit of a defense mechanism, you know, there's probably pain and suffering involved. And so I do believe that there's a lot of depth. Yeah. The craft asks, asks for you to um, use yourself and mine joy, pain, whatever the emotion is called for in the script and to you know, sometimes, you know, with stand-ups, we, you know, you work in a, in like in a, it's almost like a little glass booth when you, that you walk around with when you're on stage, you know, and it's just, you're so confined and you so get so used to um, what you do. Um, it's when you free up and really trust yourself that you, that you not only become a stand-up, that you, but it becomes an art to it. And, yeah. and, and that's when it's, that's when it's creamy, you know, that's when it's really that's when it's really exciting. And it takes a while to get to that. It takes a while to develop the chops to trust that. Um, I think that's exactly the key is, is letting go because I think comedian like standups can be so used to just controlling the entire environment, you know, like controlling the room, everything, the jokes, all of it. And then coming into a situation to just let go and just trust that someone else is going to deal with all that yeah the the best advice i ever got was when i first started out and it was from a genius um manager who i was fortunate enough to to um uh, be signed with his name was jack rollins um jack rollins charlie joffe um buddy mora those were the those were my my first managers and um jack was a genius and an eccentric guy who had duke ellington's eyes and um, f- fancied himself uh, like an eccentric English professor at Brooklyn College or something, you know, mm-hmm. just always a little bit of a, a cigar, just a little bit, and uh, tons of dandruff on his shoulders. I still don't understand. <laughs> I just didn't go like this. Excuse me. And he put, you know, he was the first manager of Nichols and May. He, wow. uh, he got signed Woody as a, when Woody was just a joke writer. And then got him to perform on stage when he'd be throwing up backstage at the bitter end. And, you, and someday you're going to direct movies. And he was that he was that guy. So I had like <clears throat> when I first came out as a, as a stand up, it was like 74, 73 and a half. And I was with a comedy group that was signed to their office. Right. For like the last three, four months of of our tenure together. And we were three guys. It was a funny act called Three's Company and they were my college friends and we've been together a long time, like four years. And believe me, it's lonely at the middle. We just couldn't get there. But they came up to me, the managers, and said, listen, have you thought about being a stand-up, you know, working alone? Because we love the group, but it's not going anywhere. But if you wanted to be work alone, we'll be there for you. We'd love to work with you. And it was like, of course, of course, you know, yeah. And I, I felt like the last year in, in particular with them, I was sort of hiding. You know, I knew I, I needed to do this, but I was afraid. <clears throat> I was afraid. I already was married with a baby. Uh, so what was I going to do? I'm, you know, my, I felt like my clock was ticking. I was 25, which was actually starting late in many ways, as far as I was concerned. And I, I, I left the group and I, I put together a really good 20 minutes. Um, but it was, you know, there was impressions. It was Ali and Cosell. <clears throat> there were some other things, but 
um, Jack finally comes to see me after about three, four months. And I killed. I just killed. It was a great 20 minutes. And I was like, so euphoric that Jack Rollins had seen me do this. So we're at this little restaurant after called the Green Kitchen. And Jack's across from me. And I'm, I'm thinking he's going to say, um, I'm not going to handle Woody anymore now that I've seen you. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Well, and then he goes, how do you think you did tonight? And I said, <laughs> all right, now right, this is not going to go well. I said, well that's I said, like a classic therapist question. How do you think you're doing? I don't know. Why don't you just. Yeah, just just tell me. So I said, well, the audience loved it. And he goes, uh-huh. I, I, I want to be honest. I didn't care for it. I went, wow. oh, okay, as I'm gripping my butter knife. Because I could, you know, just just uh, go Norman Bates on him right there, and he said, "No, it's very effective." The audience, the audience laughed all the way through, um, but you know what? You didn't once say, "I think." You never said, "I feel." You know what bothers me? You never said that. Um, you didn't have. You weren't in your own act um, because it's an act, um, very effective. But you know what? Um, you didn't leave a tip. Oh, yeah. And I went, what do you mean? He said, tip. You know, the little extra something you leave on the table um, that they remember you by. You didn't You didn't leave a tip. Um, and you're working too safe. Um, you're a young husband, yes? Yes. Okay, right about that. You're a father, right? Young, no one else is a father here. Um, right? right? Talk about that. That's what will make you unique. Put yourself in your own eye. And be prepared to bomb. I would rather you be prepared to bomb than work safe. Wow. So tomorrow, tomorrow, come in again. Don't do any of this stuff. We know it works. Um, put together. I don't care if it's five minutes, four minutes, three minutes. Do something new. Um, and then it'll, it'll grow. It'll, you'll see. It'll be like a, a dry sponge in water. It'll, it'll, it'll grow. Just talk about your life. Leave a tip. Leave a tip. And that's the greatest advice I've ever was given. And any young comic, um, uh, whoever talks to me or wants any kind of in knowledge, I don't know. Um, I tell them that story. I've heard you mention leave the tip before and probably like at least 10 years ago. Uh, and I've never forgotten it. And I still think about it. I still think about it when I'm writing. Cause it feels like that is, that is kind of the, I think for a lot of comedians, the sort of journey is you, when you start off, you're half kind of mimicking your idols, you yeah. know, and you're half sort of saying, you know, what do people think is funny? And then I think there's this journey where it, you just kind of, you run out of stuff in the external world, but then you start going exactly what you said. What do I think? What do I feel? And then it's just like, takes a long time, six to 12 years, usually before you're just like, you are a fully formed identity of your own making on stage and you're you, but a high <laughs> yeah. version of you probably. And yeah. that took a long time to discover that, but I never forgot leave a tip. I always remember that. Yeah. But that, that's when it gets, that's when it gets creamy. That's when it gets <laughs> really great when you're not nervous before you go out there because you know, you know, you just, what you're going to talk about and how you're going to, what you feel like talking about. And you don't give them what they're expecting. You know, yeah. you know, you give them something, oh, oh, surprise them. You're going to surprise yourself. You know, that's why I think like, and honestly, um, I think for myself, 
um, you know, you mentioned this, this, the standing up, falling down movie, which, um, I loved doing. I felt like it's some of my best work, personally, some of my best work because the longer you live, the more you have to work with, <laughs> the more, the more you, there's more knowledge, there's more trust, there's more, it, it becomes effortless to get to those moments, even if they're difficult. Because you, you can get to them. You've experienced them before. So, you know, I, I that's the exciting part about it. And, and for this movie, too, which is a, you know, a, a tough character to, to play um, and do it the way, you know, uh, it, it should be done. But you, you find the honesty in it and you go. For me, the prep was writing. We created this character. So I did a lot of my backstory because I, you know, wrote it. And so, um, yeah, but that's, that's the, that's the thing, man. That's the thing is to, is to find out, you know, what kind of instrument are you and, and, and how do you keep yourself in tune and what, what's, you know, what's, what songs can you play on it? When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. When you sort of talk about like the longer you live, the more experience you have. I mean, I really see that in your performance in this movie because I didn't see... Charlie Burns as a as a character that Billy Crystal is playing. It's like this is a guy. Like he, you, it it, it didn't feel like. I mean, you you know your background. You do such amazing character work, but this didn't this. And he was a character in a movie, but he wasn't a character. He was a real. No thanks. Yeah, fully formed guy who had, and you you really hit on so many like. as I said before, like existential human things, but also particularly the life of the, you know, the, the overworked performer writer who's chasing, 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 chasing and missing life in the, in the interim. Yeah. And, you know, maybe if it's, maybe it's because of my age that I'm at now, but if, I, I really would love to explore this a little bit and just sort of get some advice on that. This idea of, you know, the balance of work, obviously work is fun, work is important, um, but it feels like as as we get older, the lesson constantly seems to be work is important, but it's not everything. 
Right. Don't put it before the things that are important and something that I don't want to spoil happens in this movie that is somewhat of the fallout of a yeah. work choice right. um, that he even kind of was like, and it wasn't even that, it didn't even, the thing I was doing didn't even really work. It was just, you know, and right. so where do you, what are your thoughts about the, you know, that, that kind of, if you pursue excellence, other things are going to suffer, but then you're not going to live a full life. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? That, well, that's, you know, that's, that's the, uh, that's the burden of anyone who, who chooses an artistic life. There's a lot of sacrifice that has to be made, but one to make the work as good as you want to make it. And, and two, you know, what happens to the people around you and, and your, your life around you. When I really started to understand that, was um, around. Uh, ooh, do, 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 do. I'm gonna I'm gonna say around the eighties. Um, you know, I have two two daughters, um, and I was on mostly on the road. Um, this was before SNL and everything, so I was mostly a concert performer, and 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 starting to play bigger venues and that kind of stuff, and and it was really it was you know, making money and, and it was nice, but I was on the road a lot until Janice, um, my, we're going to be married 51 years. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So we were kids. I was, I was seven. She was six when we got married. It was a Hasidic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it goes back that far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We met in a room by the airport and they said, you're, you husband and wife. And we went, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I guess that's how this works. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, she said, listen, the kids are missing you. I'm missing you. Um, you don't want to be Uncle Daddy. Right. So, you know, maybe a little less. We, you know, say no. Money will be money. We're, we're fine. Um, and I got it. And then fortunately at the time, then then SNL happened and we all went to New York together, which was great. Um, and then when I came back, then movies started to happen and running scared happened. And so now my schedule was much more fitting for a home life, even though I'd go out of the location, they were still young enough to, to come, but <clears throat> I wasn't gone, you know, 200 and something days a year. And, and that was the lesson. Don't be uncle daddy. Yeah. But, but I, I also, you know, I look back at so many of the comedians that, were so influential to me when I was growing up and I see that there is a relative consistency to, and then at a certain point they stop doing standup, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, whether it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, you or Steve Martin Steve, yeah. or, or Eddie Murphy or, uh, or Robin, or it's just like, there's a certain point where, and I feel like I'm starting to understand now. Cause at the time I was like, why would you stop do? And now I'm starting to go, Oh, because, it is an annoy. It's not the performing. It's just all the stuff around it. It's all of the travel and the five shows in a couple of days and doing the morning radio and you know hustling to sell tickets and you know like the up and down and the up and, and the th- it's the thinking. It's the thinking of you wake up going oh at eight o'clock I got to be as funny as I've ever been um, <laughs> for an hour and a half for two hours. What what city am I in? And it, but it's also th- of looking, I need a new hunk. I need a new thing. And you, it's that bubble I talked about, that, that box you get in where you're just thinking about stuff. Yeah. How, what can I write about? What can I do? And it, it, just, it, just, it just crushes you sometimes. Unfortunately, you know, I had other things that I, I 
loved doing, like acting. I was getting and, you know, starting to become, you know, uh, more, you know, getting more parts and so on. And then, and then, but I'll tell you though, three years ago, I went out on a 35 city tour and I loved every second of it. And I couldn't wait to get out there. Um, I, I, I did a show that was really stand up, but it was a talk show. Mm-hmm. Um, a wonderful, wonderful, funny person and a great interview, Bonnie Hunt. Oh, yeah. Um, I asked Bonnie to go out with me. And we, and it was basically uh, a conversation for two, two and a half hours. And I showed clips and, and things, that let, but it was basically like doing a great letterman for two hours, Yeah, you know, and, but it was stand up and it, it led, you know, led to me running back to the hotel to write down what I just said, you know, what, and that was, that was great to, it was like visiting an old friend, you know, and, and um, so you never lose that. You never, you, it's, it's always there. It's just, a, it's a little dormant. You know, I'll always feel like I'm in one someplace. And there's, there's very few places, honestly, in my life that I feel that comfortable. Right. You know, I, I, I feel comfortable still to this day fielding ground balls and um, taking batting practice somewhere with a machine or with somebody throwing. Um, I still love to play one-on-nobody basketball by myself. And and I love being on stage um, still. And so it's just a... It's how I started out, you know, and, and um, you go back to it because it it just led to everything. And when I had down periods, uh, you could always go back to it. Yeah. And and then it felt it felt fresh and good again instead of a burden, you know. And then then it, then it's great when you can go back to it. Yeah, I got something to say. I got something, you know. The other day I started making notes about what if I went out, what I would do. You know, and there's no place to do it, fortunately, but, you know, and then getting laughs on a talk show with no audience, you know, with, with any of the great talk show hosts is, is fun, but you miss the, you miss the crowd, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just the, 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 that sort of voluminous, ah, you know, the, the, the widening roar of, of the immediate response, which it's coming back now. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm booking shows for the fall and oh, good. People are already, a bunch of my friends are already like on the road. Like, you know, the second it seemed like things were lifted, they were just like, I'll be in Ohio. I'll be in Oregon. I'll be here. I'm like, holy shit. I mean, I'm excited to perform, but I'm still just, it still need a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. And I hope people aren't rushing, rushing, but you know, to be, get vaccinated and wear a mask and then you, you it's, you know, more than likely you're in great shape. Well, I'm, I feel like we, it definitely feels like we've turned a corner and it definitely feels like, um, you know, uh, by the fall, it, it seems that, oh, that things will, I mean, it might be a new normal a bit, but it definitely feels like, okay, I think, I think I'll feel okay going on the road, asking people to come show up together in a group, um, was there when you were starting out? Was there like a particular comedy snobbery in terms of like, well, stand up is this or this, but it's not this? I mean, I feel like a lot, a lot after the '80s comedy boom, because um, I started in '90 in the '90s, um, there, there was a little. Well, comedy is it's just a person telling jokes, but it's not this. That's too 
hacky or thirsty or whatever. And now I sort of feel like it's anything that really kind of works for the audience. I mean, is that just sort of a, a young comedian's snobbery about like <laughs> trying to dictate like it's this or that? Who's to say what's, what's the way, right? You know, there's no, there is none. That's why, you know, a few years ago, you know, so long ago, if you said, Oh, he's going to wear a white suit, play banjo and have an arrow through his head. You'd go, that's what, but it was, you know, it was, he turned comedy into arenas, you know, he picked best. And that was, you know, and who, and, and what Andy would do, um, you know, to dare to, to lip sync, you know, Mighty Mouse and, and do all the other, and to wrestle and do all the other crazy things that Andy did. So there's, you know, everyone's got their own, their own genius to them. Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's just, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating art um, since the beginning of time. And, you know, from there's probably cave paintings that have a sense of humor about them, I bet. You know, there's probably some caveman throwing a, a woman to a T-Rex and that's, you know, take my wife, please. Probably take my buffalo. You know, like there's something <laughs> yeah. somebody, like somebody. <laughs> so I'm trying to make fire. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's probably. Well, you know, if you look up, this is a real thing, but if you look up Pompeii graffiti, they uncover all this graffiti from Pompeii uh, that is like, it. I mean, it's translated, obviously, from Latin, but it's it's just like, fuck, that's graffiti. That's the same. Those are the same kind of things people write on bathroom walls now, you know? It's just the same. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. And and, and Harry and Sally, I had lived a line... Uh, they're looking at the Sphinx. It's, I guess uh, Hieroglyphics is um, a comic strip about a character named Sphinxy. <laughs> and, you know, but, but it, it, it might be. It might be something like that. I mean, it's, you know, this, what you talk about, like going back on stage and sort of feeling it again and then sort of being drawn back to it, and that never goes away. It, it makes me think of uh, Joan Rivers, who uh, I was really lucky to get to know in the few years before she passed away. I absolutely adored her. And Joan was someone who would still be performing today, you know, absolutely. if she were here. And I always admired that about her and, and, and Mel Brooks too, because it seems like what kept them going was a hunger and a curiosity. And they always wanted to learn and they wanted to understand and they wanted to consistently um, create but um, I hope they found peace too, you know, because I wonder for myself if what comes with that drive is just not ever being able to sit still. I mean, does creating art nonstop, do you think creating art nonstop means that you're never able to really just slow down and feel satisfied? I mean, will I be able to be hungry and achieve, but simultaneously be peaceful? Is that even possible? This has worked for me. Um, you know, I, uh, I found a great balance in my life because I, I found a great balancer. Um, uh, you know, Janice and I, again, 51 years, two kids, four grandchildren. Um, that's, you know, uh, I have other stand-up friends who come over and go, how did you do this? How did you do this? And I go, meet my wife, yeah. you know, meet me. So, you know, we, we fell in love at 18. I was 18. She was 17. And, and, and that's been, and, and the basis of it is, is we laugh a lot. She is really funny. 
And because I'm one of those guys, I'm really, I'm one of those guys, I'm a generous laugher, but I'll also study it at some times at the same time. I go, hmm, funny. <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, but uh, uh, that's been, um, that's been a thing that I, um, that is most important is that I've been able to balance this and, and, and find joy in all of, all of my work and, and all of my life. Yeah. And do you, have yes, you, they gotta, live, they gotta be separate though. It, they can't, you can't blur the lines. And I, I have at times, um, you know, cause it's so elusive, Chris, it's so elusive, you know, success for, for that satisfying. Right. You know, that means something to you. I mean, look at this. I'm 73 and I, and I co-wrote, I acted and I directed in this movie and I'm nervous like crazy because it's opening Friday. And, and, and I always feel, and I always did, no matter what success or failure that I always had to, I always had to prove myself again, either to public or to myself that I could still do it, you know? And and do it better than I ever have, <clears throat> and and that's what's such a thrill about having this movie open is that people are really you know liking the movie and and they're moved by it and I laugh at it and I and uh, you know I, I was the oldest guy in the set but I was the youngest one at the same time I I had more energy than anybody because I I had to <laughs> yeah. but, but you know but that's that's the thrill of it still after all these years that nothing. It, how do you, I don't know how to put it about not feeling totally. I think there's a, there's a danger about feeling totally safe that, uh, you know, I, uh, there's something about it that you have to always kind of figure a way out of something that, that get, gets exciting. So it's either writing something else, directing the scene differently. How do I, how do I tell Tiffany, what I need here, it, it, am I saying it right? There's always a challenge. And I think that's, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, I'm already writing something else and, um, and looking forward to getting that done, you know? I mean, but also to direct yourself in scenes that are really, I mean, is there a separate, is there a separate person that you're able to sort of bounce off of? when you're giving a performance or are you able to have the separation to see yourself? I'm the director and now, but I'm watching myself as the actor and I think I need to do this or a little bit, or is someone going, Oh, you know, tweak this or, or is it all just you like watching back? Well, and- well, yeah, that's a good question. Fortunately, I, you know, I had, um, Alan was there. So his wife Bell was there and I would sometimes I just look off and go, I knew what I needed and I knew what I felt was right. And, and I knew that, Charlie was raw and I had to go to a place that was for me raw. And, and when he gets, you know, kind of, uh, news that he doesn't want in a scene with her and he explodes at her. Um, that was a, that was one of those days. And I, and I, and I had to, I had to really explain this to Tiffany when she had a very emotional moment in the movie later is um, you have to stay in the pain. You have to stay in the moment. You just can't turn it on and off. So if you do a really good take, don't run to your phone. 
I don't go, don't do that. Stay in the thought, stay in. It's uncomfortable, but you'll feel it'll be true because the frustrating thing about movies and the exhilarating thing about movies is they're forever. Mm-hmm. Whatever moment, movies are a collection of moments. So if you make the right moment, it's it's there forever. And and I surprise him, you know, when he, he just blurts, he's terrified and he's he's emotional. And as part of the, the illness that he has, he strikes out at, at, at people on occasion. Um, but but, you know, that's that just, you know, that's just part of it. So I had to really trust myself. And, and then there were many times that when I finished a scene or a take, I didn't look at the, I didn't look at the playback mm-hmm. because it felt good. Right. And then, and then I would look at the DP, you know, do we get it? Do you, we're good. Cause I'd set up all the shots with him and his name is Vanya. Um, and I said, Vanya good. And he went, he just go like this. So I knew that I had it. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated job to do everything. But for this one, I sort of had to. I really, I, I didn't want anyone else to do it. Yeah, I, I think the probably the most challenging thing to get around directing yourself would be like which part of your ego to put to sleep. Yeah, you know, like if you're watching yourself as an actor watching your acting, you're like, oh my, I look weird. That's a strange angle. I, you know, it's like no, 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 no. You gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta pull, you gotta put that part to bed so you can then see yourself. You know, it's like which which part of your ego are you are you servicing? Yeah, no, because you know there were times on the set also, it, whatever the scene was, and it was on me, and I and I go cut, cut. Well, that stunk, and they would guys would they would laugh, and you know, and it would relax people, and it actually would relax me sometimes, and then. I'd step back and go, what, what's, what's missing? I'd, I'd talk to Alan, I'd talk to Tiffany, and then, and then I'd, 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 uh, I'd figure out what was, what was right to do and what was wrong to do. Um, I sort of you know, felt like I was a cast member in a movie that I was directing. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. it but also, you know, you talking before about, um, as I, so I'm still thinking about like the $22 of it all. Yeah. I think that's so representative of how difficult it is to know. I mean, everyone at the core of it just wants to know, am I doing a good job? And that question can be dangerous because you can, your brain can start feeding you bad answers. Oh, well, your $22 means you're not doing a good job. You know, it's like that can, you can't control that. Or, you know, the idea that, well, you know, again, you, you have to sort of release whatever you can release. You can't control if something's going to do well. You can't control if you're going to work. You can't control any of that thing. But again, as comedians, our job is to that we depend on the reaction from the audience. So it's difficult yeah. to, to go, oh, yeah, I just won't worry about the outcome because there are outcomes that are vital to what we do. And so in, in <clears throat> the amazing career, you've done literally – the biggest things a person can do uh, is just sorting through that. Is, 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 is Janice really the sort of key anchor that has kept you tethered to not spin off in weird directions or place value in weird places or feel bad about yourself when you don't need to, when you're trying to find like, what does success actually mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. And my kids and um and and a lot of soul searching over the years and working on myself also to 
you know, to, you know, get, grow muscle. Yeah. And it's not a kind, it's not a kind life sometimes. And it's definitely not a kind business sometimes. Um, because you, 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 you know, like right now, you know, I, I put my heart and soul into this. It's based on, on so many truths and somebody with a, um, keyboard may write, I hate this thing. You know, it's, it's so, but so that you get, you know, I'm in a precarious for me now point. And, and, um, the fact that, uh, we wake up together and, um, is really, that's really the important thing. And, and, uh, so that's, that's the balance for me always. Yeah. That's the anchor. And also, knowing that I'm strong enough to take that um, if there is that, and it probably will be some element of that um, and, and move forward and just, and keep the perspective, you know, you got to be a, a, a horse in front of the plaza. I used to call it because <laughs> the, the plaza hotel or all of the, the central park horses would line up and they'd all have the blinders on. Yeah. And they couldn't see the traffic. They couldn't see anything else except where they had to go. So that's what I'm going to be. Uh, I decided years ago, I'm going to be a horse in front of the plaza, which is a good book title. <laughs> that's a, it's a good book title. It's a good special. You know, if you, if you developed a bit, if you, I mean, you could easily do another special if you felt like it, you know, like it's. That- I'm, that's what I started like writing about, you know, when I, and when I, you know, when I finished with my tour with Bonnie, we did again, 35 cities. Um, some one-nighters and then jumping, you know, in a car or a plane to get to the next date. It was so great. And then I had so much stuff that we had mined together that I could now, you know, do alone. Um, and, and then formed an act, you know, new, new thing that way. Um, so I look forward to, I would like to do something like that and feel free, you know, uh, that, um, you know, the, the thing about the $22, and this is part of the same thought. I'm not wondering, folks, is the 22 bucks. And he says, that's so sad. Charlie, well, that's so sad. Is is that what I'm worth now? Mm -hmm. Is that all it is? Is that all anybody wants to, you know, $22? That's what that's what Charlie's going through in in that point of his career. And that's what, you know, when it really happened to Alan, that's why it broke his heart, you know. And, and then she orders a salad that costs more than what she paid for the auction. <laughs> Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco. Or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. 
That's what happens when you give Grammarly to your entire team. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. But it, but it's such a great lesson in like how dangerous it is to place your own value into things that you can't control you know, uh, or, or into things, into metrics that wouldn't have meant anything to you before. Like this character wouldn't have thought, I wonder how much I would be worth in an auction, but then all of a sudden it's a defining moment for him, you know? And so it's not being, and, and not just the, not just those moments where you have the opportunity to feel bad about yourself, but I think on the other side too, you know, like when you have the big wins, how yeah. do you, how do you process it and appreciate it, but not, have it mean everything you know what i mean like how do you not get swept up in it yeah i mean you have to that comes with knowing who you are as a person that's with working on yourself as a person not just as a as a performer yeah and and, and, and feeling confident in that the last time i was in front of people uh it was interesting um i i, I keep in in really good shape and i don't really um, you know, do anything to excess. Um, and I remember I was, <clears throat> I did a Colbert and I love that theater. Um, the Sullivan theater was where I made my network television debut, wow. um, for the Howard Cosell variety show. Um, the Beatles were there. Every stand up I, uh, ever saw on a Sunday night on it. Sullivan was there and there's something about the setup of it. That's, that's an amazing place to perform in. And we, I don't know, we did three segments and then we did, we, we talked through the commercial breaks and I just started performing for the audience. I didn't tell in jokes and things and stories and so on and so forth. So when I came off, I, I felt like I had just done 45 minutes of a really good show. And then, um, Janice and I went out and I ate a four pound lobster and, <laughs> And had a and had a drink and then and a, and a dessert and then and then that it was that was that was to me was like oh all right yeah good there's room now I can uh, I did my job and it was very satisfying now I can reward myself that's the other thing you know <clears throat> you leave a tip with the audience but you you, you know you, you leave one for yourself too right. and give you give yourself room to feel good about yourself that's within limits where you don't blow it up you know. It's yeah. a, a great, there's a great story to joke about, um, two actors, uh, uh, oh, it's an actor and I want to get it right. It's actor in summer stock and, uh, they go to do, he goes to do the play and, and there's, uh, there's 12 people in the audience. So they cancel the show. They, they can't do the show, 12 people. So he goes to the bar afterwards and, and the bartender says, no show. He said, nah, only 25 people showed. And 
<laughs> you know, it's just that just gotta just to feel a little bit, but it's but those but those those metrics really do are difficult to not define when when they really do depend on the success of what you do to do more of it. And you know, I heard you tell the story about the first Tonight Show you were on. And I tried to find it with because you were on and Orson Welles was on and I think yeah. it was 75, 74, 75. And, yeah. and, um, and I couldn't find it online. I'm always disappointed by the internet. I'm like, internet, come on. You got everything. But mm. this, this is the one thing I can't find. But the story you told about uh, when the stage manager would say like, stay where you are or go to the couch, meaning, and every comedian knows that means Oh, if you go to the couch, you're anointed by Carson. And if you don't get that, how can you not be dist- How can you? And it could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe they didn't have time, or maybe he, or whatever. But that defining moment, and you got called over to the couch. Yeah. And that was life changing, I would imagine, for a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons, yeah. Um, I remember uh, it vividly. And, uh, Sitting next to Johnny, he said some really lovely things when I finished my stand-up spot and I saw the guy do that and shook his hand, shook Wells' hand, sit down, and he said something very nice leading to commercial about always great to see a young comma come out here and 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 do something a little different and work for you and we'll be right back. And and uh, Craig Tennis was the, the uh, talent coordinator for that, uh, is that uh, my stand-up spot. And he had told me, uh, don't look at Johnny. Don't look at him in the commercial <laughs> break. Like a gorilla. Don't look him in the eye. Don't look him yeah. in the eye. Yeah. Don't, don't, in the commercial break, he won't, he don't, he won't like it. Don't oh. do it. I got Wells on my right and, and, and Johnny's drumming with it, with his pencils and band is fantastic. And I'm, you know, here I am. I've been looking at this set for years and I, now I'm looking at him and he was like such a superstar to me. Yeah. He was such a, and God, yeah. I mean, and he had, he was, had these chiseled features and, and, and he's drumming away and he, he looks over just for a second and I'm, he knows that I'm staring at him and, and he, he just went, and I just went, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed and he went, it's, it's, uh, it's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. How's it like, going? Uh, I don't know what else to do you like do you like food what do you like i don't know what do you fucking say what are you supposed to say johnny what do you yeah. say yeah. are you um what i'm trying to get your sign i can't I, what's what, what are you is, is there what there's just like a fire sign i don't know well, okay you gotta go back to work okay sorry yeah i was oh god myself everyone I'm oh, it was, oh it was too crazy it was too crazy did you ever feel comfortable going back or did that imprint in you in a weird way did you ever kind of oh no i then forget very comfortable over over time and then the the coolest thing happened. Um, uh, I got a call from him uh, the morning after the Oscars. I guess it was nineteen ninety eight. Um, it to this day is the highest rated uh, Oscar show of all time. It's a Titanic show, and oh, right, right, right. It was a particularly good show. I have to say, I was, I was, I had a strong show, and. Um, Nine o'clock in the morning, I had gotten in around four and couldn't sleep because it was so fucking exciting. Yes, it doesn't matter. It was so fucking exciting. 
And, and that was one I, I let myself feel really good. And the phone rings and it's uh, my, my assistant, Carol, saying, um, Johnny Carson is on the phone. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I went, what? No, no. I'm thinking it's Chris Guest. You know, or Marty Short, who could you know do him? It's, it's. Are you sure it's him? She said, "Yes, it's him, and he wants to talk to you." What is? What do I say? I said, "Come the fuck off!" Yeah. And she goes, "Boss, why?" No, I'm kidding. And I now I'm sweating like like Albert Brooks and Broadcast News. I mean, I was just, and I took a deep breath and went, "Hello," and he goes, "You know, you're a." You're on, and he went on and on in the best way. Couldn't have been more uh, just gracious and and thrilling to hear him praise what I had done the night before. And 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 he said, you know, I'm just sitting there going, look at this guy. He just went on and on. And and, uh, and I said it to my wife, isn't he something? She goes, why don't you call him and tell him yourself? So his wife Alex had told him to call, and he called okay. at nine o'clock in the morning, and we talked for about a half hour. And, and it was, it was really like, I was exhausted from the phone call, but I still live off it. I still, I still feel it. You know, that would have been funny if you were like, so how's it going? I mean, in that moment, (laughs) call back. Um, And then, and then 61 debuts on HBO, which just had its 20th anniversary movie. I directed about Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. And it was shown the other night and I sat and I watched it. And I hadn't seen it in years and, and was thrilled that they wanted to, to honor it again. And the morning after that debuted, uh, Johnny calls and I picked up and it was him. And he goes, I'm sending you something that I think you're going to like. And it's going to come today. And when you get it, give me a call. And here's my number. And so on and so forth. And he hung up. So a delivery my guy brings a, a, a DVD from 1962, Johnny in full Yankee uniform in Yankee Stadium, pitching to Mickey Mantle for a segment for The Tonight Show. And he's hilarious. And he's, he's he, you know, the, the, the guys, the way they set up the shots, and it was on film. It was on film, right? So you see... Great Yankees, Roger Maris, Mickey Mantle, Elston Howard, other Yankees walk out of the dugout. And then Johnny, like in a uniform that was didn't fit. And he was and he played it so well, like little Jack Benny's sad sack. And he goes out and he walks the wrong way to the mound. And Mantle says, hey, Johnny, it's there. Oh, right. And he walks out to the mound and he's pitching to Mantle. And it was a segment on the show and he wanted me to have it. And it was like and and. um it's it's a, an astounding piece of video. I mean, it's wild that you, you end up connecting with these these guys who make you want to do what you end up doing. You know, I, this may be a weird question and a weird a weird piece of advice to ask for, but just in general. But when Johnny Carson calls you, when Johnny says, "Hey, okay, you you've just hosted the biggest Oscars ever. You kill. It's just this pinnacle, like." Beyond your wildest imaginations and your young performer, you're probably doing way beyond what you what you thought you could have wanted to do to be happy. And all of a sudden you're and then Carson calls you the next day. I mean, how are you supposed to feel like what's the how do you process that in a healthy way? You know what I mean? Like, do how do you 
how do you how do you even begin to break that down? Is a lot of it done retrospectively, where you look back and go, "Holy shit, I did that happen?" Well, it, yes, because <laughs> I just told you, and I still feel that way. Um, but at the time, I didn't tell a lot of people um, that this that this had happened um, <clears throat> because it was mine. Yeah, and and. Um, I didn't want anyone to feel like I was bragging in any way. It was such a personal gift that, uh, you know, on occasions like, like this, um, that I bring it out and, and look at it again, like, wow, that was something. And, um, it was a pretty, I, I, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. Uh, I have to say, and, you know, I, I, the fact that it felt so good doing that, that, that Oscar night, that was a really good one of the nine. Um, I like some better than others, you know, cause they were better than some were better than others, but that one was a particularly good one. Um, the fact that he had done it five times and, 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 and sought me out as a, as, um, with appreciation and there was nothing else to it, you know, was, um, was, it's kind of, I still just shake my head sometimes. Like that was a, that was a great one. That was a great moment. But I see that in the, and I think, I assume that that also probably because you recognize the humanity of that moment, it creates a level of empathy where you are also generous to younger performers because that is also like a, a sub story in the movie. Yeah. Uh, a young writer who's having a hard time. And it turns out he just fucking idolizes you. He knows every inch of your career and your character just kind of taking the time to help him sort some sketches out and just talk to him and listen to him. It's like you, you, it's just like the passing of the torch. Like you see that and you know that because you have given him this moment he is probably someday when he is an incredibly successful performer writer going to give that moment to someone else too. It's just this constant, like the relay like, race. It's the relay race. Yeah. yeah. The, re- the, the relay race. And in, and in here today, you know, the Daryl character uh, ends up f- helping me finish my life's work. And, um, you know, in a beautiful moment towards the end of the movie um, uh, and he's there and um, you know, that's the continuity um, that is, I think, a, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think also it feels like, especially at this point, the more stand up you do, the, 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 probably the main difference as we get a bit older is doing stand up because we love it and we enjoy it, not because we need it for some type of weird validation to exist. Right. right? That it's enjoyable. Cause, cause when you go on back on the road, it's, I'm sure it's, some of it's going to feel the same, but also, I mean, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna do well. Like, you know, people are, you know, it's like as opposed to the early days where it's like, oh man, I gotta, okay, I got a minute, I gotta win the crowd over. I'm not, not that you, you know, like the crowd still expects you to do well, but I mean, it, it probably just feels a lot nicer now. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, you don't have to fight. <laughs> you don't have to fight. Um, that you know, that that kind of that first couple of minutes. And then, you know, when I walk the stage in the beginning and look at people and, and try to be as informal as I can, and you look at the audience and they're older than you, then that's, that's, uh, they've been there a long time, you know, and, and um, yeah, so it's, uh, 
it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating time, um, now with, uh, what people need and, and, and how can we get it to them, which is entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just like the sort of the need for silliness and the need for fun and the need for comedy and the, you know, like it, but I am stuck on this idea of leave a tip and I, I would love to, if you, in the process of leaving the tip. And and again, I don't want to overshadow the fact that this manager is amazing that he took the time to have the insight to tell you that because a lot of, you're very lucky because a lot of managers might've just gone great. You know, like, ah, they just see dollar signs. This kid's killing. That's all that matters is killing. And right. he had soul in the humanity to say like, yes, you can do that, but there's so much more for you. That's of so much more depth and you should explore that. It's a very artistic to choose art over commerce is incredibly insightful. Well, that's why Jack and Charlie and and Buddy Mora, uh, who became my day to day guy for forty years, uh, were to me the best because they they were really smart and and insightful in 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 their appreciation and understanding of the art of stand up and comedy or writing um, and and, and you know, the last time I saw Jack, he was a hundred years old. Oh my God. And yeah. And he passed away. Oh, right. When the comedians came on, I saw him the night before it debuted. And, um, he was still, still uh, with a little bit of cigar, still with a dandruff on his shoulders. Um, still talking about what was funny and, and he, how much I sent him the, the shows in advance and he really, he really just really liked him. And, and he had managed Letterman and was the executive producer on Letterman as he, as he sort of headed into retirement. And I carry him around with me um, because he was such an important, um, important part of my understanding me and understanding the art of performing and writing and, um, and your responsibility, not only to uh, yourself, but to the audience, the relate that relationship, you know, who's an extraordinary guy. Last question. When you're, when you're forming, a, when you're forming something and you go, oh, there's something here, there's something here. I don't know what it is yet, but I just feel like you just get that spider sense. Like there's just something here. Yeah. And you think about, you know, how do I make this me? How do I leave the tip? What are a couple of questions that you ask yourself to sort of get through some of the barriers as you're developing bits? If you're stuck or you're trying to figure out like how to leave a tip, if you feel like my pocket, I left my wallet at home. Like what are the, what, <laughs> what are the couple of questions that you ask yourself? <laughs> is this worth it? Is it worth it? What, what, oh, that's a good question. Is this worth, is this worth anything? What about, how about, and, you know, I, I, um, I, I got to know Stephen King for a little bit at Castle Rock when they would, uh, Rob was doing Misery. And we talked about doing a funny um, approach to a horror film. If did he think there was something that we could do to get something like that? And he said, let me think about it. And then we were talking about writing. And I was uh, sort of new in my writing career. Um, uh, and he talked about what he loved the most. And I think some of it might be in misery in the tech, in the book. He talked about the how abouts, 
that a writer loves how abouts and, and the how about, uh, you know, for me now is like, it, it, if that happens, if there's a how about, you go after it. You dive right through the, you know, the computer screen and you swim in it. And if it's there's something great and it keeps you going to the next thing, great. If not, you just press delete or copy and, and, and save it at the, you know, for, for maybe it's something else. But you just keep experimenting and, and uh, some days you find you find your way because there's no there's no ways app um, for writing. You, it'll take you where it'll take you, you know, and, and you just trust it. Um, I, I finished writing something that I had no idea where I was going to go. I just had an idea for a beginning and it led me into a whole world I had no idea that I was going to end up in. And it was exhilarating. I don't know what will ever happen with it, but it's it's there. It's a, it's a screenplay. And I did it during the pandemic. And I just kept going. And I, you know, in those horrible days where we felt like, you know, can't go out. It's out there. It's in the air. We, you know, the, the, but where is this virus? Where, well, if you touch this, if you touch that, you got to wash the avocados when you get them. You got to, you know, you get all of that fear locked in basically this room where I'm talking to you now for, you know, 14 months. Um, the godsend was coming in and writing. That was the, to me, that was uh, for myself. Um, was the ability to just sit and explore and play around uh, for an hour or two before I had a vacuum and, and do my ironing, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm very good at, by the way. I'm very, I've gotten very good. Listen, it's good to develop skills in a pandemic. You know what I mean? You, like you, you never know. know. You we've never all, know. Especially now, we've had to become our own production crews, our own lighting crew. Like we have to do our own makeup. It was fine. You know, it's fine. It's good. Hey, man, I I spent last night ironing flat sheets. So. <laughs> Someone has to. Yeah, one of those machines that you see in dry cleaners that 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 thing. And they're then, not called wrinkle sheets. They're called you gotta flatten them. Flatten, gotta flatten them. Out. Yeah. I do have to tell you, as we're leaving, um, these these moments that were so impactful to you. You gave me one of those moments, and I think I told this to you the first time you were on the podcast, but it was probably almost ten years ago. So I'll just tell it again. But in nineteen ninety eight or nine ninety eight, maybe you were on a press. You were on a doing a tour for analyze this. And I was asked to moderate oh, yeah. a, a live panel at UCLA, <clears throat> which they beamed to a bunch of colleges where they would screen the movie. And then I would come out and moderate. And it was you and De Niro and Harold Ramis. And I was supposed to moderate the, you know, like interview you and moderate the Q&A. And it was the first thing like that I had ever done. And of course, I was terrified. It's you and it's Harold Ramis. It's, you know, the Egon and the yeah. guy who did Groundhog Day and SCTV. And, and so... Uh, backstage, I didn't, they had to pull me back. I didn't see the second half of the movie because we had to get ready for the panel. And and I met Harold Ramis and he was like, oh, what'd you think of the movie? And I go, oh, I didn't get to see the second half of it. And he goes, oh, he fucking explains, like acts out the second half of the movie to me like a kid. It was one of the most, like, I couldn't contain what was happening. Um, probably like your call with Carson, like, how is this happening? So we go, you were very nice. I don't think I met De Niro. We all get out on stage I'm talking to you, good rapport, talking to Ramis, he's great. I get to De Niro and he's just, you know, sort of that classic, like he's just shut down. That's just, he just doesn't like to do that stuff. That's fine. I did not have the experience. I did not have the tool bag 
to navigate that situation. And for some reason, I just, I guess to try to be funny, because he wouldn't answer questions, I just go, what's your favorite cereal? Like, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I just kind of, it was kind of that, how are you doing? You know, how's it going? <laughs> and his his reaction was just sort of like, he did, did, didn't, wasn't interested in playing the yes and game. And, uh, and was just like, ah, I don't, uh, I don't. And thank everything you go, uh, Lucky Charms, like you kind of jumped in front of the, the frame. And I took the bullet like, for him. I took the and, bullet, yeah. And you took the bullet and everyone laughed and that was the end of the, that was pretty much the end of the panel and you you gave us our like blackout curtain and and you were so nice to me afterwards after what was such a devastate, like I was so devastated by how I fucked that up and I didn't, and it really taught me a lesson of like empathy and listening and helping out when you can help out. And it was, I just needed you to know that that was so impactful to me and I really have appreciated it my entire career. <laughs> I remember it. I do. Oh man. Yeah. Um, a junket with Bob is, uh, uh, is an experience. Listen, not everyone likes to do those things. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I know. He's a genius actor and one of my closest friends and the sweetest guy, smart guy. And, but, you know, we would do these junkets and be the two. He, he always insisted that we do them together. Of course. Because I do the lifting. Yeah. And, you know, and it was basically like Burns and Allen. I remember George Burns saying, All I did was say, Gracie, how's your brother? And she would talk for 20 minutes. And I would point to her <laughs> because I got to a, I got to a point where I could just I could point with either hand, and that's that's what it was like with us. And and uh, yeah, um, well, I just I just wanted to say thanks. And I appreciate that. Very appreciate much. It. Like, hey, you'll be okay. You know, you did a great job. Like, it was it could have been one of those moments where I was like, well, I'm not ever doing this again. You know, like so. <laughs> Well, that was that. But anyway, I just wanted to say thanks. And you've always been so nice and generous. And I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And the movie is just a beautiful, gorgeous movie. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, and I know it comes out uh, May 7th, which I believe is the same day the podcast is posting. Is that is it, is it theatrical? Theatrical? Only, the, only theaters. It's only the, 1,200 theaters across the country. Right. We had opportunities to zo- uh, to stream it. and But, you know, my producing partner, Fred Bernstein, said, no, I, I don't. Let's, I want this, people loved, we had two test screenings that went great and people did what you want them to do in a theater. And he says, I, I want that for this movie. I want that experience. And then Sony swept in um, and said, we want this in theaters. And here we go Friday, May 7th. So folks, if you feel healthy and, and, and safe to go and go check it out, you'll have a, you'll have a, it's a full movie experience, I think, for for uh, an audience. That's that's what you want in a, in a in a film. Absolutely, is it has a great emotional core, and it's it's funny, and the performances are great, and it's heartfelt, and it just it's just a nice journey. It's just beautifully directed and acted, and and I I really uh, uh, I'm so happy for you and for Tiffany, and and uh, so congratulations and thanks, Chris. And and by the way, um, Vanilla Kashi. Oh, that you're that's a new favorite cereal. That's my yeah. This yeah. I don't know what Bob's is. Are you uh, call him if you want to hold on? Uh, it's a problem. <laughs> hey, you know, it's oh, actually Lucky Charms. Right? I still love Lucky Charms. Still it'd, like. It'd be funny if he like. It'd be really funny if he left that. You know, if he kind of grumbly like got in his car and went home and just opened a cabinet of like all these cartoon cereals. <laughs> 
or like his or like the or he or he in the car he's like i can't believe that guy asked me the question and then the tricks rabbit's like who knew you know like i feel like there's something there's there, we'll, there's we'll, we'll work on that we'll work on that for the sequel to this um thanks again and congratulations okay. on the movie and thanks uh, appreciate uh, it always good to talk to you man you too man take care all right bye 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 ID 10 T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop popcorn. Imagine this perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, Dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.